G'day, Darren Mitchell here. Welcome back to another episode of the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. Just wanted to drop in before the episode starts to give you a bit of a preamble in terms of the episode topic and uh, a special guest today. Today I'm speaking with Mr. Evan Montero, who is the CEO and co-founder of an Australian-based business known as DIY Blinds, uh, which is a startup organization that's looking to disrupt the home improvement industry. And in less than five years, they've gone from zero to a valuation of over $100 million. It's a fantastic conversation. There's lots of stuff we talk about in around sales and sales leadership, including the importance of how we deal with our customers, but also what are the key elements of building a solid sales team, as well as delving into Evan's leadership style, which uh, I think there's going to be something in it for everybody. So uh, if you'd like to connect with Evan or if you'd like to know more about DIY Blinds, please check out the show notes, but also check out LinkedIn because Evan's very open to connecting with uh, high-quality people. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode, and I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales leader looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. All right, welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. Darren Mitchell on this, uh, well, it is a Friday as we're recording this, but uh, if you're listening to this live, it's probably Monday or Tuesday, just before Anzac Day. So Darren Mitchell here, welcome to the podcast and a very, very special guest today, all the way from Melbourne, which is uh, which is fantastic. Get to speak to a, a fellow Melbourneian, Mr. Evan Montero. How are you, my friend? Good, thanks, Darren. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Uh, now, Evan, you are the founder and CEO, or co-founder, should I say, and CEO of DIY Blinds, uh, a business that has rapidly grown and, and obviously found a bit of a niche in the marketplace. Valuation uh, over $100 million in the first five years, which is exponential growth, which is explosive growth. So I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you from the context of uh, a business, but also from a leadership perspective, because I know there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who are either sales leaders, aspiring sales leaders, sometimes entrepreneurs that are trying to um, make a mark in the marketplace. So um, what I'd love to do just from a from a beginning point of view, before we jump into some some key questions, if you can just give us a little bit of a background on the Evan Montero story and what led you to uh, starting DIY Blinds. Oh, that's that's a, that's a good question. And where do I start and how far back do I go? Um <laughs> I studied marketing and, and multimedia. I actually did fine art straight out of high school. Uh, I was a great artist in, in high school compared to my very small high school. Um, there was only two of us studying art at a VC level. Okay. Then I went into university and realized I wasn't that great compared to some of the other people. And I wasn't <laughs> probably able to make a living out of fine arts. Um, so then I shifted towards multimedia, did that. But I realized that was probably not my calling as well. So I did another degree in uh, a multimedia degree and a marketing degree. Yep. Then I went from marketing, I went straight into sales. I did do an internship at L'Oreal in Paris, very short, um, realized that that wasn't for me either. Um, money was important. And one career trajectory you have where you can earn a lot of money up front is sales. So I went into finance and sales and did a lot of um, lending sales through as a mortgage broker and then working through the banks. 
un, what is it un, un OTE untapped like opportunity to earn is un, uncapped and all those things and <laughs> a lot of salespeople will resonate with that found that I was very good at it um but then also had this hunger to have, do my own entrepreneurial thing and you know I did a mortgage brokerage and whatnot and then moved towards um superannuation but still sales but more as a senior bdm trying to level up my own personal skills and and grow a little bit of a more robust resume um out of fear in case i stayed in corporate forever <laughs> um, so i went and did superannuation and i started um day one same job title same everything with lean who's now my business partner that was like over nine years ago um what we didn't know then was that there was a more focus of mergers and acquisition Okay. Respectively, that's very obvious in the superannuation world, right? Um, so we were hired in the business development team, given a budget and to go and win corporate super, not one-on-one mum and dad super, but actually get super companies super. to come over um, as a, as a uh, what do you call it these days? The My Super Fund type stuff. Yeah. yeah. So we weren't really a big focus for the business. We were just shuffling papers around that had a lot of spare time which was a great scenario where you get paid a lot of money to do very little, almost ideal for that age group. But it meant that we have a lot of time to do side hustles. And one that we had a couple of side hustles. One of them was actually Rate Sniper, where you would do a mortgage comparison online, similar to Finder um, and iSelect. And then the other one was DIY Blinds. And what really took off was DIY Blinds. We got tapped on the shoulder only six months later from starting it. Um, someone offering us eight figures to either own the whole thing or majority shares. Wow. And we were only doing about two to $5,000 in revenue a week at that point. Not enough to obviously walk away from our business, but we realized something was there. Then we went into it full time, um, took a punt and it's paid off and haven't looked back. Um, six years later, 100 mil val, like you said, we've got a team over 100 people and we've got a real strong, solid strategy and pathway to become a category killer in our space um, and what we've basically done is create a new way of buying blinds shutters and curtains digitally and online but um that's me in a nutshell but in wow. terms of sales you know, your, your listeners are very sales focused i've done it all i've done door-to-door sales for selling apt foxtel i've sold timesharing call centers like <laughs> sales is um one of my core strengths and i've done all types of different sales methodologies from spin sales and soft sales and there's good and bad, but yeah. sales fundamentally is what's helped me drive and grow this business and learn. Yeah. So I appreciate what you do with your listeners um, and, and how important sales is. Well, I mean, to take a to take a business from, I guess, an idea and a concept to an evaluation of 100 million in under five, well, five, six years. But you actually mentioned something really interesting there and in that um, you're doing two to $5,000 in revenue, but you're offered eight figures. <laughs> So there must have been either uh, something significant that they noticed or um, they just had a big drinking session. <laughs> no, I think that there was um, our growth and our trajectory and what we were able to do. It was small growth, but the fact that we were standing start, everything was bootstrapped. It was bootstrapped until June yeah. last year, by the way. Yeah. Um, and we've been profitable the whole way through is what resonated with them and what we were doing in challenging the market. They saw opportunity. And we didn't have first mover advantage there. And we weren't the first one in the market. What was unique to us was our strategy. Right. What was unique to us was how we differentiated ourselves um, compared to everyone else that was selling window furnishings online. So just on that, Evan, because you don't, 
it, it's not just a fly-by-night organization that does that sort of growth trajectory. And now that you're in a position where you've got um, such big numbers and obviously your trajectory moving forward is, is huge as well. So it's a very um, strong foundation as a business. What do you think was it that gave you that? And you talked about strategy because a lot of salespeople listen and a lot of sales leaders think about and they talk a good game about strategy. But when you look at it, it's more of an idea. It's not necessarily a fundamental strategy that has, if it's stress tested, often there's lots of holes in it. And you mentioned also that you weren't the first mover in terms of this particular marketplace. But what do you think, and sometimes this is just based on reflection, looking back, what do you think made you guys different that has given you the opportunity now to, to get a stranglehold on this part of the market? Great question. And it's unfortunate that there's not enough of a connection between the sales team who are customer facing that ladders up to strategy and mm-hmm. get closing that feedback loop. I want to touch on that later on, but um, our strategy is simple. And it, it hasn't shifted over the years, and it's what I credit to a lot of our success. Our, our strategy is to have a very digital and disruptive business model, challenging the traditional way you sell blind shutters and curtains, which is through your brick and mortar stores. Yeah, expensive overheads, thirty to forty showrooms, high for traffic area, um, ten by ten year leases. Right. So we said we're going to sell blind shutters and curtains online, digital business model, and that allows us to have substantially lower operating costs than our competitors. That allows us to offer our customers substantially lower prices without compromising on quality and service. Mm-hmm. That's our strategy. In terms of quality, everything's Australian made. With everyone else that was online, not necessarily in the brick and mortar stores, because like I mentioned, we weren't first movers here. Yeah. They made they fell into the trap of price. If you're going online, it's all about price, yeah. which usually means skimping and procuring um, and buying from overseas manufacturer, usually in Asia, because the labor labor cost there is low, but yep. it often means that the quality is lower. It does mean that the quality is lower than the Australian craftsmanship. Um, and that's one way you push price down. The other one on service on your traditional e-commerce stores is that you don't have a sales team. You try and have bots and you try and have chat bots and mm. try and make the funnel on the internet so refined that you don't need any human capital or a very minimal human capital because everything should just be done online. That's your typical e-commerce behavior. I did the opposite. Our biggest expense is our sales team. Our biggest right. ex- biggest cohort in our, in our business is the design consultants because service is so fundamentally important. And that's what I mean by not compromising on quality and service. We might be an econ, but we don't behave like one. Yeah. We have no chatbots. We're not about trying to make it super efficient and super lean. We want to educate the customer so that they understand the quality that we're selling um, and that we're providing them, as well as understanding that they're not just solving for aesthetics with window furnishings, but they're also solving for functionality, such as light control and privacy and thermal insulation. And that is what has made us stand out. Um, so... We talked about strategy. Um, one of the things that you'll resonate with is the strategy around the sales engine. Yeah, We don't go out to mom and dad's um, in homes, like your in-home consult, which is what our um, industry does, or we don't have physical showrooms. We have consultants in the showroom selling to the customers. Everything is done digitally, remotely. Um, and that's challenging because you know how hard it is to sell and make a connection with someone on the phone or via email as opposed to face-to-face and all those little nuances, you know, mm. looking someone in the eye and smiling and making sure all those behavioural cues play. Um, and that that was also one of the winning factors that made us successful because our industry is also heavily commission-led. Yes. 
Our industry, unfortunately, either has 100% commission, so if you don't sell, you don't eat, or they have very low base salaries and high commissions. Now, there's nothing wrong with this structure. It does work. It is successful for a lot of people, but I completely pivoted. Mm. No commission. We pay everyone above market rate so they don't have to worry about putting food on the table. We hire amazing people who believe in the vision, believe in the culture, and are, and this is the key, are able to work autonomously yeah. and then just make sure they have a focus on strong customer service and then get out of their way. We pivoted. Everyone said that it was a little bit crazy, but it has proven itself to be invaluable. Commissions sometimes, and this might be contentious, uh, but I think it's well-documented, can incentivize bad behavior. There's nothing wrong by actually paying people their value, paying people what they're worth and understanding that. Um, And then don't hire people that are only incentivized by sales and commissions because that, you know, they're the type of people who try and take all the good leads and don't want to help out and carry some of the bad leads. Like I'll give you an example that's relevant to us. If grandma's only wanting one plantation shutter in a bathroom, she often doesn't get looked after because everyone's focus is the family that wants to do the whole home. Yes. Because the higher AOV or average order basket size compared to grandma, but it's the same amount of work. Yeah. Um, there's, there's little things like that that helps. And then culturally, what that does for you, it's not dog eat dog. It's mm. not people trying to um, fight for the best leads and the worst leads and then handballing and palming things off and saying, oh, that's their problem. My, my, my team cares for the customer all the way through the purchase journey as well as after the purchase journey, making sure that they're actually happy with what they've received and achieved in, when it comes to their window furnishings. Love it. There's so much to unpack there. I'm trying <laughs> to think about where I, where I start because the first thing that comes to mind, Evan, is you think about, you think about sales organisations and whether it's a, a small, medium enterprise or you're, you're in a, like a, a consumer-based industry or even corporate, a lot of salespeople are incentivized by that commission, which unfortunately starts to drive certain patterns of behavior. And from a sales leadership perspective, they're often looking at where are we according to that year to date or the month to date number. And then they drive that pressure, which just cannot help but get projected onto the customer. And from a customer point of view, I know I do this all the time in workshops. I say, how many people in this room love to be sold to? And just about every single person does not open up and does not put their hand up. But people like to buy, right? So I'm really interested in the psychology about this because you must have to try to attract certain types of people who will have, I guess, the customer service at the forefront of what they're doing rather than be driven by the sales and, I guess, the the individual accolades that they might get in a highly competitive environment. So without talking about the customer service stuff yet, because we, we want to delve into that, has that has that been something you've had to really look at in terms of looking for the qualities or the characteristics of your sales team, people who are not necessarily driven by the, the big commission checks? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, they're the wrong type of people uh, potentially, or they just haven't been educated on the downside. And COVID helped me here, Darren. Okay. Imagine if you're commission focused and we're locked down and you're not actually able to go to people's homes or people aren't able to go to the showroom. Then they realize how dangerous commission is. And imagine if you're sick and you're mostly commission fed in terms of your remuneration. If you're sick, if you have to go on annual leave and you know it takes a bit of time to build a pipeline, all salespeople know about pipeline and generation building, um, generating leads. You're so beholden to market conditions. You're so beholden to 
pricing. You're so beholden to maybe the business has pivoted the wrong way. It needs to uh, pivot back. That's not your fault as, a, as an employee within the sales function. And that's a downside. So if back in, um, if you were selling home loans, for example, and that's, you can look at the effects of the Royal Banking Commission, but traditionally prior to that, it was all a very heavy commission-based. If you work for a bank that had just a higher interest rate home loan than some of the others, what are you going to do? If you didn't work for a big four and you work for one of the second tier banks, what are you like? So that's that's one thing. That's the one selling point there um, in terms of attracting the right talent. Let me just pay you above market rate. Yeah. And trust that you're going to do the right thing, have strong performance management there to make sure that if you are steering off course, we can get you back. But it's this fundamental thing of what's wrong with hiring good people? There are yeah. good people out there and just assuming they're great. Whereas institutional, um, your traditional institutions assume people are bad. We have to have, we have to dangle a carrot in front of them. Otherwise, they're not going to move. We have to create stringent processes. Otherwise, they're going to say the wrong thing. They have to follow the product disclosure statement. Otherwise, we're going to end up in court. Well, hold on. How about you just train people? How about you hire good people? And then you actually, you actually empower them mm. with the focus of customer outcomes. Yeah. Um, so that was great. Answering your question around um, the psychology behind it. Um, a lot of the thinking around this um, that I got originally was uh, uh, from a fellow called Dan Pink. Um, you know, autonomy. Yeah, autonomy and purpose yeah. Yeah, is yeah. Where, where I'm going with, you know. Hiring great people and getting the hell out of their way, giving them the education and training they need. That's the autonomy piece. Now, not everyone is suited to autonomy, but mm -hmm. most sales roles is autonomous. You're either on the road or you're, you're whatnot, you're driven by that. What happens if you're not driven by actually commissions and you just, but you still need to be able to function you know, and with autonomy, which means not being micromanaged and being trusted. Mm. And around the mastery, you know, it, it can't be sizzle and gloss. It's got to be substance, meaning that what you're providing to the customer as a product and a service offering has to be sound. Otherwise, yeah, it doesn't work. this model doesn't work. And then your education and, and being able to articulate that to the customer and explain those USBs, explain those values and why your product or service is better is important. Mm. That's autonomy and the, the mastery side. The mastery, we, we invest in our team and make sure that there's a lot of investment around growing them and give, building up their skills. So autonomy and mastery. And the third one's purpose. And this is, the, this is the key driving force behind this if you hire the right people. Being a part of something larger than yourself is powerful. Mm. No one wants to be stuck in a cubicle or in a call center. No one wants to be spending their years away, you know, doing the same thing and becoming a cog in a system. The, the purpose and the vision for us is very clear. We want to disrupt the very analog industry by turning it digital. Um, and if, if people buy into that vision and the sincerity and, and the genuine um, bias, then the autonomy mastery piece takes care of itself. Yeah, um, it's counterintuitive to what everyone is doing, but it, I believe it's a big part of what's made us successful. And it's a big part of why customers love um, working with us and, and buying from us. Because I mean, the proof is in the pudding, isn't it? Because you've got the you've got the numbers that prove that hey, we're doing we're doing what we set out to do. That is, we are disrupting the marketplace. Because what's fascinating, I know there's a lot of organisations now that are starting to move towards a model similar to yours, where you don't necessarily pay individual commissions. And yes, there might be some objectives, or there might be revenue targets and sales targets, but. Um, there's a contribution by the whole team. So an individual contribution adds to the whole. And as long as we are, you know, feeding that, um, we're all getting taken care of. So 
Um, what do you say though to some of the sales leaders out there that perhaps are from that analog, are from the old days? And they say, hey, you know, we're not getting the maximum output here because if if you've got uh, if you've got old Johnny who's been around for a while, all of a sudden getting a clip of the ticket from what everybody else is doing, how do we how do we actually get these guys back on track? Because I did I know you mentioned having some performance management metrics in place. But there seems to be two sides of the coin here. One is, hey, we've got to have individual targets because that drives individual performance, but link it to an overall vision and key strategy. But then others are saying, no, no, there's a different model here that works. But I guess it's different for different organizations. But how have you grappled with that? Look, within the context of all joining in your comment around the, some of the more um, established businesses, that's difficult. That's difficult because you have a legacy system, but you've also got legacy players within your sales team. That's very difficult transformation to undergo. And the only ones that have done it have been, for, from my observation and my knowledge, are those who have been forced to easy Royal Banking Commission, right? Um, so that's difficult. Don't know how to answer that. I had the luxury of starting something from scratch right. and building up the team um, that way. But I will say, for those who think that, you know, you shouldn't be looking at this type of approach, please go research what a millennial is and please go research what the future of the workforce looks like and tell me that commissions long-term is what's going to drive them out of bed, what's going to drive them to perform and be engaged at work. The, the workforce is changing. Yes. And if you want amazing talents, if you want um, people who care and highly engage and who are going to drive value for your business, uh, it's including the sales team, the old ways aren't going to work with the younger generation. Um, and it depends on your industry and it depends on, on what you're doing. But just go Google the millennial for me and tell me that you're going to be able to incentivize them just with, with money. These guys don't always care about money. They care about the culture, the environment, the team. They want to be able to jump out of bed on a Monday morning and be excited for work. Mm -hmm. um, they need to believe in the purpose and the vision of the company. They need to make sure that it's ethical. These are the, this, this is the future of the workforce. And attracting mm -hmm. top-tier talent isn't always just about money anymore. No, and it's fascinating. There's lots of research to support this because a lot of sales leaders still today in 2023 believe that in order to incentivize higher performance, let's throw more financial incentives at them. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So it's a really, a really great point. From uh, can I add something, Darren? Sorry. Um, I want to add that we are looking at bonuses, but they're not going to be astronomical because one thing as we've continued to grow is that we we do lose a little bit of that intimacy because mm. one of my like one of the key functions of my job is to make sure that everyone understands the vision, but everyone also understands how their contribution ladders up to that vision. Yeah. Um, so as we grow, that's a little bit harder to manage, um, and we're looking at uh, potentially you know looking at bonuses, and that that does two things. And it's definitely a genuine bonus. It's not a part of the remuneration um, and whatnot. It's stretch targets. Definitely stretch targets. But it rewards and encourages people who have mastered their craft mm. to do more rather than just um, do the same. And also it does encourage some people who do need a little bit of that psychological shift or that psychological um, push to extend themselves. Yeah. So I'm not saying that you don't need financial incentives or short-term incentives and all the rest of it. They are necessary. You need to remunerate people for what they are worth and not be stingy on it because you get... Think about a, a, a team, and I'm sure everyone's experienced this. You get A-grade players, you probably only really need a handful. If you get a bunch of B and C-grade players, you probably need a workforce two to three times the size. Oh, that's it. 
But if you keep hiring and attracting A-grade players, remunerate them for what they're worth, make sure that they're engaged, they believe in the vision, and they're helping you grow the business, they deserve to be rewarded for that. That is my view. Love it. And it's, um, as you mentioned before, millennials and the younger generation that are looking for a different, I guess, way of working um, and a way of being recognized, we've got, to, we've got to be able to adapt to that. Absolutely. Because the other thing that pops out there is, you know, having spent over 20 plus years in sales and, and coming from, I'll just say it, the old school, where it was almost conditioning, right? For some of us, it's a bit of a paradigm shift to start thinking about, well, what do you mean we don't, we don't give people big commission checks to incentivize performance? Well, you've got to understand that not everybody's, as you said, motivated by money. But it also starts to think about, okay, if we get people who are coming in who are A-grade performers, who are good quality people of good character, who do have great values that are matched for our organization, they're now going to take care of your customers and your customers are now going to have a lot more um, positive things to say about your organization and they become the sneezers out there, right? So it becomes easier then because it starts like being a snowball effect. Which kind of brings us to the topic of, you know, the customer service, because I often say in workshops that I run that sales is the ultimate form of service. And mate, sometimes people look at me like I'm a frigging alien. (laughs) And I also say that part of that sales doesn't start until after the sale is made, because there are so many examples out there where um, a prospective uh, service provider is all over a customer up until the point that there is a contract or some form of commitment and then crickets. Nothing, right? So we know that businesses don't necessarily have to, ref- to um, don't have to base their entire strategy on referrals, but it does help, right? So when you're talking about what you're doing and how you've started the business from scratch, how important is the customer? Really obvious question, <laughs> but how important is it though to have every single person within the organisation really understanding what the customer means? to DIY and what's your are you doing anything different or is it just fundamental but executing it better that's a great question Um, again I do have a lot of advantages that we're building a business it's not a legacy business but how we started hasn't changed we were obsessed with the problem that the customer is trying to solve and making sure that the solution that we were selling was perfect yeah. Um, and that made everything else easier when I say with the customer and the customer service that you're referring to and being obsessed to the problem it's making sure that the solution um, was communicating, or we were able to communicate the values of, the, of the, the, the product and how it was solving that. Because if you have a solution that people are willing to pull money out of their wallet and give it to you after you've sold it to them, and they're able to go tell their family and friends, like you were alluding to, about how amazing it was and be happy after the transaction and not have post-purchase dissonance just watch them over, yeah. then you've got a business. You've got something that's scalable and repeatable to grow. Mm. But if you're having to do a lot of hard sales and really glossy marketing, expensive marketing, to convince that customer to buy it, you don't have a business that's very... (laughs) You've got shining things syndrome is what you've got. You do. And unfortunately, um, there isn't enough of a connection. And there's a lot of work with CDPs. And if you're like, there is a lot of work to try and get the feedback loop from the sales team through to executive and management to make better decisions. But I think a lot more work needs to be done because the sales team are the ones who can tell you the competitive landscape. They can tell you all the customers' objections. They can tell you where you sit as a brand because your product might be the best price, but people might think it's too expensive because they look at price and they don't understand value. 
if your product is going to last 10 years longer and that whatever other substitute product they're looking at needs to be replaced every two years, then they're not quantifying that, right? Yes. I'm just trying to think of examples here. It's yeah. around product, yeah. brand and price. And the person who will actually know a lot of these things might not be able to articulate in the frameworks for marketing to a CFO to all the rest of it but person who's actually going to understand the landscape the product the different or what differentiates you where you're valued where you're weak is the sales team mm. and it was only six months ago that I actually stopped picking up the phones I actually every Monday I made it a point to be on the sales floor for half a day to lead by example and actually just pick up calls not only sales calls but customer service so that I was in the weeds yeah. I was in some months of it. I was not only getting feedback from the customers, but I'm also actually listening to the phone calls that the, the, the consultants are having, but not by eavesdropping, but just through osmosis. Yes. Um, and I think that's powerful, powerful for me because I can effect change, powerful for me because I know where to pivot the product or the service or the branding or the messaging. Um, and data is amazing. Um, and some people don't like anecdotal data, but data is qualitative and quantitative. Um, and again, my point being that the sales team and your sales champions are the ones that are, 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 have a wealth of data and information. So I encourage anyone who's listening, who's a sales executive, to befriend the marketing team, because there's usually a clash between marketing and sales. <laughs> befriend the marketing team, befriend, befriend the executives, and actually try to communicate in a way that's constructive to say, hey, did you know that this is what a lot of our customers are saying about us? Did you know this color doesn't resonate because we're pink, but the customers are boys or whatever? Like I'm, I'm being generalist yeah. here. Yeah. Um, I encourage the sales executives to actually make sure that they're at the table when some of these things are being discussed. Mm. And to, I also challenge the sales executives to try and understand they don't have a helicopter view of everything. Don't just go to marketing team and say the price needs to be lower. Yeah. Don't go to the marketing team and say we need to have a discount or a campaign. Try and think about it from a different lens as to what they're trying to achieve long term because. The knowledge that you have in your noggin is invaluable for the organization to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And as a senior leader, so one of the things you just talked about there is um, being visible to your team. Exactly. So the fact that as the CEO, as the co-founder um, sitting on the floor, and let, let's just be honest, you're, you're reasonably, um, uh, uh, let's just say, and I say this respect, immature business only in terms of the number of years you've been around, right? But it's very easy, though, for big or bigger organizations or organizations even of your size to have the co-founder, the CEO, the CFO, um, you're talking about getting, getting a CMO, sitting in their offices doing all the strategy stuff and not being visible. Just by you being there, it gives you um, a different, I guess, profile, reputation that others are seeing. But if, you're, if they see you doing the calls, answering the calls, having a conversation with the customers, they say, wow, if it's good enough for Evan, then what am I complaining about? Yeah, there's two things I want to touch on this because you bring you bring up a great topic. Um, there's a funny thing at our office that everyone knows, especially my team. More of my team use my office than I do. I actually talk <laughs> with the team more um, for two reasons, right? There's osmosis is a big one, but and this is more of a leadership angle than sales. But if I can identify problems while I'm on the floor and seeing it in real time, they're a lot easier to solve and fix. Mm. But having to solve those problems behind closed doors, they're usually a lot harder to fix. So I can kind of, I can have that presence, right? Morale and all of those things are good in terms of being out there. The second one around more around sales and, and being out there on the floor is, 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 is you, you hit the nail on that. You don't want to be so far removed than working on strategy that you don't actually know what the, the customer is wanting, how the dynamic and the landscape, the competitive landscape is shifting. Mm. 
you want to make sure for me personally I mean, this is what's led to our success is making sure you understand the different demographics that you're targeting the opportunities that you're missing and what not necessarily customer objections but what are the sales team's objection what are they finding it hard do they need more collateral do they need more hours in the day to be able to do prep work or do they need more administration time like how do we set them up for success and i can only know that by actually being in in, in, in and amongst it um the third element to this um that's I, I i personally find um rewarding is that i'm still a part of the team and i know this is going to be harder as we scale because you hit the nail on the head we're still on the maturity curve very young as a business and we're trying to become more commercial as we've now got investment we're hiring an executive team and a robust team but i hope to god that i don't change yeah i'm still able to um lies with the customers lies with the b2b relationships and internal into external stakeholders and i make that sure that i scratch out time to do that otherwise all the information that i'm going to be fed at the top is diluted or that it's going to be mixed or it's going to be through the lens of someone else mm. and then people in data will understand this you want to be as close to the raw data as possible yeah speaking to customers couldn't get any raw Speaking awesome. to the sales team, it couldn't be any more. Yeah. So regardless of the size, I hope that doesn't, that doesn't change for me. Nice. So um, there's lots in there. And one of the things around customer service that um, resonates with me is, is the value and the focus you place on the customer in yeah. terms of how they perceive DOI blinds and the value that you, that you create for them. There's, there's possibly a lot of businesses out there that also say, hey, we, we place the customer in the center of everything we do or we place the customer right in front. So every time we're talking to a customer, we have this picture of our ideal avatar customer, right, who's a family member, right, as a friend. What do you say to organizations and say, yeah, we have, we have great customer service. We have great customer focus. We place the customer in the front of everything we do. But we're not getting the result. So what what have you guys done that might be slightly different? And it's not rocket science, and I know that, right? But is there one or two key things that you guys have done from your inception that has enabled you to get this really solid foundation? Yeah. That perhaps others have missed. We've kind of touched on it. Um, I'm not taking credit for this because this has been well documented. But how many CEOs say that they understand their customer and their products? But then you ask them, when's the last time you spoke to an actual customer? When's the last time you actually used the products? There's, just, there's no authenticity around that. It almost yeah. becomes gimmicky and laughable. So that's one, and we, we touched on it, right? Like actually understanding the customers is, is incredibly important. The other one is the, um, the culture is led from the top. You can say your customer service and your customer focused, but if you're not actually demonstrating that to your team who is executing, and they're not going to be customer focused because they know it's just an empty tagline. Um, in terms of what we do, and the thing that I'm most proud about in our team is not when things go right, because we're not perfect. Things don't always go right. It's when things go wrong. Yes. Because they will go above and beyond to help with that customer post-purchase. They will go above and beyond to make sure that that customer knows that we're not going to leave them in the lurch and that we're going to figure this out and we want to expedite the solution as fast as possible. Um, and irate customers are an opportunity to learn. Angry customers where you've let down or they're upset or there's a mismatch or whatever's happened, massive opportunity to learn. And that, that to me is reflective of our approach to customer service and why we're successful because we learn from our mistakes. Um, we have five-star reviews 
across Facebook and Google, and we won product review award like four years in a row, I believe. That is word of mouth. The, the best advertising you can have is through your customers. Yeah. Um, and if again, if you actually have a product offering that customers are willing to pull money out of their wallet, pay you for it and be happy at the end of it, rather than you've just sold them, now you can walk away. Yeah. I don't have to worry about it. Unfortunately, some, you know, some business operate that way. Yeah. Um, means that you're able to grow. It means that you're able to grow efficiently as well from the marketing perspective, because that solution that you're providing, they're telling all their other family and friends about it. Well, and it means that the promise that you make to the marketplace, the, the solution that you provide to the problem of the marketplace doesn't end after that problem has been solved because essentially from a customer's point of view, if you make a promise to them, sometimes based on their conditioning of other service providers, they might think, yeah, you might be just like every other organization. You just want my money, Evan. So when once you've got that, I might not hear from you. But yeah. if you do something completely different and 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 it could be as simple as, you back up what you say with what you do and there's a consistency there, then all of a sudden they're going to turn around and say, wow, this is different. There is something different about this. And in their family and friends, they will. They won't necessarily go out and will wear the uh, the old billboards that you do like the old chicken shop, but um, they will, it will come up in conversations and it will pay dividends. Absolutely. So we, we cannot underestimate that. No, our best advocates are customers who started off as complaints. Our best advocates are the ones that we actually helped solve the problem that we yeah. might have created ourselves. So I agree with you. And they're emotional, right, when they're complaining. Yeah, absolutely. So you have that advantage of writing that emotion and changing it from anger to absolute yeah. euphoria that, oh, my God, yeah, I'm so sorry I behaved like an ass and swearing and screaming on the phone. You've actually, you've actually done what you said you would do. So, you know, there's a lot of value in that. Which leads to some things I'd love to I'd love to touch on your take on uh, some key leadership principles that you know what what's what resonates with you in terms of some of the key characteristics of a leader. Before we do that though, um, and I think we've already touched on some of this, but for those of us, uh, for those of the guys are listening, uh, putting together a sales team, we're trying to look for sort of characteristics. Should I be looking for in a modern salesperson, irrespective of whether we're going to give them individual commission plans or team commission plans or team team targets yeah. what are some i guess some key elements that you look for uh and you've done in terms of building your sales team and i presume it's going to continue to expand as the business expands as well so what are the what yeah. are the key characteristics you're looking for in a salesperson the first one i'm sure you hear a lot no assholes <laughs> no yeah. dickhead policy dickhead policy um is a big one so culture for us we have an amazing culture our team cares deeply about our customers about each other and our and our company um it's so easy to dilute that or compromise that by just hiring one bad egg yeah you will let a few through accidentally uh, because they're, they're good salespeople and they've sold you sold you them but you've got to be brave and, and courageous enough to act quickly and make sure that that doesn't become cancerous. That's one quality. The second quality for the sales team is autonomy. Like sales is fluid. Sales is, um, they need a, they need the ability to move laterally and solve things creatively. Like I, I don't like scripted sales. I run, and you know, when we were selling timeshare, I'm not proud that I sold timeshare. It was all about speaking sales, right? Like get the customer to talk, find out more about them, figure out what the pain points are, press on those pain points and somehow link it to what you're selling. <laughs> if you buy this, it'll solve this problem. Um, close, so close, close. It's, 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 it can be horrible because it's the linking is incorrect, but you've convinced them, right? Yeah. But what I do take away from that training is this. 
actually listening to the customer, actually having a quality conversation as to what they're trying to achieve. I'm going to give you a practical example for a scenario in, in our business. If you don't talk to a customer about what type of window furnishings they need in the situational scenario, you're not going to achieve the outcome they want. And most customers are naive when it comes to window furnishings. They just think they just need a blind. Mm. Well, okay, you just need a blind, but how much light do you need to block out? How much thermal insulation do you need? And how much privacy do you need? Because if it's a nursery, they're going to want to block out the light completely. But that's a quality yeah. conversation. You need to actually ask the customer, yeah. you know, what's important to you in that room? Hmm. Because then when you move to a different part of the house, if it's a living room, oh, I don't want to block out the light during the day, but I do want to just filter it and, and you know make sure that it's not so harsh. Okay. You might need a sheet curtain or a light filtering or sunscreen blind, depending on the privacy that you need. But this is what um, autonomy, I'm going to link it back to the autonomy piece here. You need someone who can actually do that because not everyone has the characteristic to work autonomy and there's nothing wrong with that. Some people need to have a prescribed day. Some people need to have the bell ring. You start the factory work. The bell rings. It's lunchtime. The bell rings. It's end of day. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just there's, there's a different people, human beings. That's, are unique. That's great. But to be successful in our, in our um, business or in a sales role, I think you need someone who's a little bit hungry. Mm. You need someone who can move and think laterally and solve creatively. And you need someone who can actually stay on pace. Yes. Knows that, you know, you're not going to get the sales at the end of the day if you're not doing all the things that you're required to do before that. Picking up the call, generating leads and actually answering customer emails and delighting those customers and have, and spending and investing the time to have quality conversations. And making it about the customer, not making it about yourself. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Um, so what's how would you describe if somebody came to you and said, hey, Evan, you are a CEO of a multi-million dollar organization, and I'm just going to project out, soon to be a billion dollar organization. There you go, my friend. There's a, there's a target for you. Um, what's your style? So how, how would you describe yourself as a leader? Look, it's, it's shifted over the years. Um, how I would like to describe myself as a leader, as an amplifier. Um, and that's been difficult for me to learn if I can be transparent and honest with your audience because as a founder of a startup, I, I did all the work um, along with my co-founder, Lee, and we did all the work. We would you know, do the sale, do the installation. We would do all the, the, the work that goes in the background in building the website, the SEO strategy, the social media, responding to everyone. It was just the two of us. Yeah. I actually love the work and I became good at it. And a lot of sales leaders will find that this is the case for them. They were actually good at sales. Yes. They got promoted to becoming a sales leader. Yes. And I found the same problem there as here that I'm about to describe, which is just because you're good at the work doesn't mean that you're good in leading, training, coaching, and mentoring the rest of the team to then become good at it. That's an actual skill. And unfortunately, in large organizations, they promote those who are excelling in that job without training them on how to actually fucking lead which is unfortunate. It's a pain in my ass um, it, when I was growing up because I've unfortunately had to be managed by people who were amazing at their job, but then all of a sudden became managers. And I'm like, oh my God, do you have any empathy? Do you have any EQ? Do you have any social awareness? Anyway, let me get back to the point. I found that hard for myself. So in terms of being able to let go of the tools was yeah. difficult. Um, so how I would describe my leadership now is more to become an amplifier to hire A-grade players, really good people in and amongst the organization and around the organization too, around governance and, and the people that we hear to. Um, listen to them, learn from them and do it from a place of, I want to learn more. You're the expert, talk to me. But at the end of the day, 
I still need to make the decision. Yes. But making sure I have the right information coming to me. So my leadership style is amplifying. Um, also, those who are underneath me, direct reports, amplifying them, supporting them, making sure that they're successful. The other way of saying this is serving, figuring out what their roadblocks are, figuring out what their capacity is and making sure it's managed and making sure that um, what skill sets they're lacking and making sure that that's trained up. And if I can't train them up on that, finding other ways to do that. I think that's that's how I like to look at my leadership because if you grow your team, your business will grow. Yes, you're not the one doing the work as a, on top or as a leader. You're not. You really aren't. It's your team that's doing all the work. It's your team that's looking after the customers. So my primary focus is looking after my team. Yeah, yeah. And as you said, <laughs> well, yeah. But as and as you said before, you didn't have a team when you started, so you had to do everything with Liam. So. And and over the over the duration of the last seven or eight so years, you would have had to have learnt to let go of things and be okay with that, and give faith in the people that you're bringing in, as long as they are high quality people. Which comes back to you in terms of your ability to identify those sort of people, but then give them the opportunity. So how do I how do I serve them? Because you said a really interesting thing before, and that's why I was for those of you you're probably not watching it on the video, but I would put my hands in the air. Because so many sales leaders get promoted because they are a great salespeople, but they don't have the toolkits, the knowledge, the expertise, the guidance, the mentoring to be able to make that transition because it's a fundamentally different set of skill sets they have to get really good at, and it's not necessarily selling. Yeah. So you've got to let go. Hundred percent. And around the letting go piece, it's. Um, letting go, and this is especially for sales leaders because they're usually commission-driven and their, their performance of metrics and KPIs depending on how their team performs, right? Yeah. But here, here's what's going to probably um, rub them the wrong way potentially, but I believe it works. It's actually creating an environment where people feel like it's okay to fail. As long as that failure le leads towards growth and learning, and that way you can have an honest feedback from a management perspective um, that's transparent and your your reports will say, okay, Evie, you know what? I messed up here. How do I fix it? And they'll come to you and not hide it. Like creating that environment mm -hmm. where people feel it's okay to fail is so important. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, how are you going to know where to fix things and how to fix things? Because you're not going to have a genuine or authentic relationship with them. So hire the smartest people, get out of the way and give them the opportunity to fail. Give them the opportunity to explore. If they're going to fail miserably, make sure they have a soft landing or try and steer them the wrong way. But that's the coaching piece rather than the that's dictating it. piece. Because yeah. if you stick to that dictator mode, all you're going to do is do the same thing the same way. You'll probably get disrupted by a business like me, like us. Which is Whereas good if you have the coaching, which is great for me. Um, if you have that coaching uh, mentality and mode, you hire smart people. You're, you yourself as a leader and as a business is always being challenged. Yeah. And guess what that does? It strengthens your business. It strengthens your product offering. It strengthens your sales engine and the methodologies used to actually sell your products. Um, it sounds very basic and simple, and I don't. I, I, it blows my mind why other large institutions don't um, have this genuine approach and all the rest of it. But it, you know, it works. Do you know why? And I and I I don't think I have anybody from like Accenture listening to this right now. But if they are, <laughs> hey. I'm not talking about Accenture, but there are so many big organizations, mate, that think, well, we'll just get a consultant in. And it's not about the fundamental good stuff. It's about all these fictitious, strategic, big words, big corporate words. And that's what we that's what we do. And that's what we should be focusing on. Yeah. But if if you actually create an environment, this is one of my core beliefs. And I say this to sales leaders all the time. 
What is the biggest mistake you've made in the last week? And what is the biggest mistake your sales team has made in the last week? And if they don't have an answer to that, if they turn around and say, we haven't made any mistakes, then they haven't been pushing the envelope. They're not growing. Because you know as well as I do, you're not going to learn from, and you said it before, you're only going to learn from when things go wrong. You're not going to necessarily learn as much when things go perfect. So let's create an environment where you give those people the autonomy to make the mistake. By all means, give them the frameworks to be guided and, and work within certain principles, but and then give them the benefit of feedback and coaching and mentoring to get them back on track, but let them make mistakes. Yeah. They're going to learn so much more and they'll have so much more, I guess, trust and respect in you for, for letting them do that rather than, and I know you've seen this and I've seen this, don't make a mistake, Evan, because or else you're going to have to go and talk to the head of strategic sales and explain why you've lost this business for us. Hmm. What's going on through people's minds there? I'm going to try to avoid making these mistakes, so I have to get it right. It's not going to work. No, no. It's, it's exactly the point, especially specifically for a sales team, right? There is so they're all working autonomously. You don't have visibility in line of sight of every single conversation, every single email interaction with that customer where they might have jeopardized that sale. Yeah. But again, fostering that trust and that relationship is so critical in order for you to be able to go in there and dissect the actual conversations that they've had with the customer and say, well, this is where you probably lost them. Mm. Because the vocabulary or you framed it a certain way where you made us look expensive or you didn't explain letting them fail and building that trust is just a way of fast tracking growth. Um, and it's, it's also going to do favors. For, and actually let's touch on this with sales, sales leaders. If, if your team does amazing, please recognize and reward them and don't take the credit. That's <laughs> one of the sales, right. sales engine that, and in all departments, unfortunately is unfortunate. It's almost like a pyramid scheme. You know, the, the, the boots on the ground sales usually feeds up to the bonus of the managers, the store managers, for example, and then the store managers for the area manager bonus depends on all the stores in that area managers. And then the area managers to the general manager, like it all feeds up. Yeah. And unfortunately people are also ambitious, which is nothing wrong with that, but they're a way of being ambitious is to take credit. Yes. Other people's work or other people's their trust that your manager, or if you're not working for the right manager, find another job, but trust your manager or other people to know your contribution and yes. understand what you're doing so that you feel comfortable actually giving credit to those underneath you who are doing the good work because it'll do two things. One, long-term, it'll build your brand as an actually good sales manager. It will. And two, your team will be incentivized long-term to want to work for you, to bust their balls and work hard for you. Yes. Because they know that you're building them, not only in their skills and fundamentals, but also their reputation in the business and organization. Um, and if you have to say goodbye to that person, write them the best reference um, and build them up. If you have to say goodbye to a good talent, I'm not talking about bad leaders. I'm talking about people who are exceptional and, and ready to move on in their career. It's okay. Absolutely. Be a good sales manager and start building up the rest of the team. Um, because long-term, that is what's going to build your credibility and authenticity around becoming a great sales manager within that organization. Because long-term... Management, GM, it, it all comes through fruition. Everyone knows who is taking credit for others' work. We, I'm sure everyone laughs about it around the water cooler. Everyone knows who's out to beers with the boss. Um, just trust and make sure that your work is undeniable. Trust in the process that your work um, is evident to everyone, regardless of the noise and who takes credit for it initially. Absolutely. And uh, great, great piece of uh, 
great piece of advice there because I, I always keep saying to leaders, it's not about you, my friend. <laughs> Leadership is not about you, never has been, and it never will be. It is all about serving your team. And do not take credit for the stuff that they do. By all means, allocate that credit. But when the shit hits the fan, you're the first person that says, that's on me. That is my fault because irrespective of what happens, I must take responsibility. That builds credibility. Absolutely. And your team will, will, will be invigorated long-term. Yeah, absolutely. And will work hard. And totally. think about the opposite. Just, I just want to picture, I want to paint a picture here. The opposite is, and I'm sure everyone's been through this and experienced it. The opposite is you're the, person, you're the schmuck working incredibly hard with a <laughs> boss that's horrible, that's taking all the credit. What do you end up doing long term? You either leave or you just take your foot off the pedal and just do just enough. That's it. Um, That's it. Well, <laughs> so as we as we wrap up, um, what's the what's the immediate midterm plans for DIY blinds? What's on the what's on the um, horizon for you guys? Amazing. Look, um, the immediate horizon for us is our B two B offering, which is called Home Pro. So all of the things that have made us incredibly successful, all the factors that have made us successful, resonating with the mum and dad market. Uh, is what's made it successful already prior to HomePro being launched in the commercial market. So you've got discerning architects, designers, and builders who love our offering in terms of fast lead times, amazing price and value and quality. Um, but they need to be relationship managed. Yeah. If you have an architectural group with 30 architects working underneath them, they can't be calling in and speaking to a different design consultant all the time. Yeah. They need to trade discounts and they need that little bit of extra love and care. And half the time, the architect's not actually your customer. Their customer's your customer. So again, different sales engine, different sales model. So that's what's up next for us is exploring the B2B space and, and growing that while actually starting to scale DIY blinds and making sure that we become top of mind and tip of tongue to the broader Australian market. So in other words, Australian domination. Are we looking world <laughs> domination at some stage? Uh, look, we have had conversations with people who've reached out from overseas, but we don't want to get distracted and we will continue to have those conversations. And if anything amazing happens than amazing but for us our focus is here in australia um and there you know it's a fragmented market and there's an opportunity to be one dominant player that's going to resonate across borders um, at the moment there's there's no one um yeah. so that's what's exciting for us nice and if there's uh if there's one piece and this is going to be a difficult question i know because you've probably got lots of different things you could you could say here but if there was one piece of advice or one piece of guidance you could give to a sales leader at the moment whether they new to the role, been around for a while, that's going to help them become an even better sales leader. Um, what would that be based on your experience? You know, sales, good sales leaders and salespeople often, it, it is a skill. It is learnt. And a lot of that is how to sell um, and, and whatnot. My tip for them is finding opportunities and taking advantage of when they're presented, these opportunities, to become well-rounded, whether it's from a finance perspective, whether it's from a marketing perspective, whether it's from a product perspective. I think your craft and your specialty is sales. Mm. Absolutely, that's great. But understanding how the other functions feed in will make you a better salesperson and will also um, give you other opportunities to expand and grow as a sales leader or a sales executive. Um, there's a lot of great GMs and and um, chief people officers and CEOs who've come from sales, they don't always have to come from the finance background. I think sales as a career trajectory is underestimated in terms of the power that it gives you to understand the consumer, the business, the product fit, the market fit, and the finance behind it, um, and the mechanics in terms of commerciality. 
the, different, the, the thing is, though, is just actually being able to understand the frameworks and to be able to articulate it needs a little bit of effort to educate yeah. yourself around that. So while you do learn sales and refine your craft, I encourage you to take every opportunity to the comments or anything else where you actually learn other functions of the business mm. because I promise you it will make you better as a salesperson and it will yeah. give you more opportunities as well as you continue to progress your career. Great advice. Great advice. And uh, could I say, couldn't agree with you more? <laughs> <laughs> You know, the example I've got, Darren, on this is like marketing and sales. It's funny how they clash because both report to me, by the way, marketing yeah. and sales. Um, they often clash, yeah. but it, 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 they shouldn't. They have the yeah. same objective. Absolutely. They just come at from different angles, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Or they're incentivized differently also, right? Well, like, that's it. That's that, yeah, that drives behavior as well, doesn't it? So. Yeah. So, um, Evan, hey, I really love this conversation. And uh, for the people who want to know a little bit more about DIY Blinds and specifically a little bit more about you and potentially connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, look, to connect is probably LinkedIn. Um, just please don't be a bot or someone selling me selling me stuff. <laughs> Otherwise, I just ignore you. Um, otherwise, if you want to learn more about DIY Blinds, you know, I encourage you, you know, see what customers are raving about. Jump on our website, order your free samples. And if you're actually um, in the market to buy window furnishings, you can book a time with one of our design consultants who can talk you through all of your different options. But um, I appreciate your time, Darren. I appreciate um, you allowing me to tell my story and my thoughts on sales. It's not evil. It, it's empowering. Um, and also tell our story about the business. So thank you. You're welcome, mate. And uh, really appreciate you taking the time on this uh, on this Friday as it, uh, as it is right now. So uh, thanks once again for jumping on. And hopefully we'll be able to do it again. Pleasure. Cheers, mate. Right, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.